Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 161 of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson, and I have Kurt Mortensen here with me. It's a beautiful October morning where we're located. We hope that you're having a great day wherever you're located. And those of you on the eastern seaboard of the U.S., are uh, you got your fans on, airing out carpet, uh, doing whatever you got to do. You know, Kurt, I'm kind of embarrassed to say I don't know how much damage it did. Have you paid attention to the hurricane? There seems to be a lot of damage. I know I have a son living in Florida, and they were all excited about it, and it didn't hit. That's the Miami area. And that's the thing. Nobody believes the media anymore. This biggest storm ever. It's going to kill everybody. Evacuate. They've done that so many times that no one believes them anymore. I mean, some people still do. No, North Carolina, I was talking to someone from there, they're a little flooded. I was in Boston uh, this last week, and uh, they weren't too concerned about it. But the, the good news is, with the flood aside, is that fall's starting to bloom on the East Coast, and it's looking good. There you go. Blooming out here, too. I actually had an awesome experience on Saturday. My wife and I went to a local ski resort here that does a, a zip line tour. You can go all the way to the top of the mountain and ride zip lines all the way down to the base. And it is surreal. You know, you're hundreds of feet up in the air. You got the fall leaves below you. You can see the whole state. It's pretty cool. And uh, I think I only semi wet my pants once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's only a few people have passed away on that ride. But other than that, it's pretty intense. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Very cool. Send us an email if you're ever out here. We'll tell you where to go to to get on that. But yeah, Kurt, we're happy to, to be doing the show today. And we want to do a little bit of shameless promotion here momentarily about University of Persuasion, which we have often bragged costs less than the Honda Civic. That's become kind of a running gag, but we don't want you to think that it costs I don't even know what a Honda Civic costs, but uh, <laughs> we should probably talk about that and why somebody would care. Kurt, why on earth would somebody want to subscribe to University of Persuasion? Because they're looking at next year and they want to make their year. They want to double their income. They want to become more persuasive. It's all right there. You've got free programs if you want to do that. All the podcast archives are there for free. You can subscribe to our 52-week program, which maps out every week we get a different audio and a video that gives you new tools. That's our goal on this show is to give you more tools. And if you really want to take it to the next level, there's advanced influence tools. There's advanced video training, things that really help you out. Bottom line, we've talked about it before. Get more tools and don't be a tool, right? I think we've said that too before too, <laughs> is that when you're only using three, four, five persuasion tools, there's over a hundred that we can teach you. So look at it, subscribe, become a member. Awesome, everybody. Universityofpersuasion.com. That's where you can get more details. We would love to have you. So Kurt, we need you to go ahead and queue up that article. Where's Urkel? You got Urkel on tap? Oh, on tap. All right, Urkel, go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, your friend, not mine, Urkel, and our article from the day comes from allpsych.com, and they, we've talked a lot about the show about mood and how mood matters, whether you as a persuader, your mood, but especially the mood of your prospect, and you have to have the ability to get them in a better mood, get yourself in a better mood, and they actually looked at what it takes, and they said no matter if you're aware of it or not, we all engage in different activities that help us regulate our moods, and they went through a couple things that a lot of people do, and psychologists have found that music is a great way to regulate mood, especially music that you're familiar with. 
tends to be associated with brain activity that regulates mood. People who play music and sing along with it, that can help out. Even sad music can raid people's moods a little bit, which I thought was a little interesting. And they're trying to figure out why. They couldn't tell us why, but they says, well, that's true. Another one, no-brainer, of course, the duh button. We have exercise. That is a great mood regulator. It's a powerful way of getting in a better mood. It's even a great way to treat depression. Everyone benefits with exercise. I mean, that's something we all should be doing. We all know it, but it makes a big difference in our demeanor and our attitudes and our moods. And, and you live longer. There you go. You live longer. You sleep less. There's always pluses with exercise. So finally, they realize that mood regulation isn't just about what we do, but when we do it. We all have a balance of more or less fun things we do to fit in our lives, and our emotion management strategies can affect that scheduling. So it appears that people are generally more likely to do mood-raising activities like playing sports when they're feeling worse and mood-lowering activities like housework when they're feeling happier. So what they're trying to say is, is you're the happiest when you're doing the housework or right before you do the housework, I guess is what they're trying to say. But big picture here, we've talked about this. I want to hit it again that mood matters. When you're in a good mood, People can sense that. And your prospect, when they're in a bad mood, they recall bad things, why they don't like you, why it's not going to work out. And when they're in a good mood, they recall good things, why they like you and why it will work out. So there's two sides to this. And so you need to have the ability as a power persuader, not only to regulate your own mood and get into a better mood quickly, but also the mood of your prospect. And if you have to, get them into a better mood. And there's a variety of ways to do that. That's pretty cool about the music thing. I've noticed that many times. If you're in a rotten mood, the right song hitting the radio at the right time, it'll snap you out of it pretty quick. Triggers all those memories, emotions, especially one of those songs that you've really loved. It makes all the difference in the world. So maybe the tip of the day is to have a better mood playlist. Yeah. In fact, when I need to persuade Kurt, you know, he's a little hangry. Uh, he's been waiting <laughs> in a long line. You know, these are the things that get Kurt. A little bit of Ozzy Osbourne will probably <laughs> snap him right out of it. Well, there you go. Back to my uh, my youth, right? A little Ozzy, a little ACDC, Van Halen. Hey, I'll admit that. You appear to be dating yourself. <laughs> well, those were kind of even before my time, but it's still a good old rock will uh, put me into a good mood. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. In fact, uh, my wife and I went to a, a concert over the weekend, which was pretty fun. We had terrible seats. We've been to three concerts in the last couple of months and i think we're having a midlife crisis or something going to all these concerts but yeah it was a very very good time all right that's excellent stuff kurt thank you for that i especially appreciated the duh button i don't think i've heard the duh button before but that's real i mean we will we find a sound for the duh button I think it could be another Homer Simpson sound. There's probably yeah, probably good. Yeah, deep <laughs> dip deep into the the pile of Homer Simpson sound bites. So, okay, great. And we're going to do something that we really need to do a lot more, which is read some listener email. Yeah, right? we need a sound for that too. I know, we do need something for that. We've always been hassling you listeners to send us emails about comments, questions, insult us cuz you know, we the insult train kind of runs one way here. You need to dish it back. So we finally are kind of making our, our word good here on that. We're going to read a listener mail, try to do it more in the future. This one comes from Phil in Naperville, Illinois. I will paraphrase the email a little bit because it's long, except for the parts where he sings our praises, those you get to hear word for word. <laughs> so Phil says, hey, guys, really enjoy the show. Keep up the good work. You're always telling us to write in with questions, and you finally persuaded me. I run a small business, and I get a lot of phone calls from people who I know are just digging for a quick quote. 
I guess people just wanting a price on his service. He doesn't say what it is. I feel like it's hard to get them to engage in conversation and establish any value. They're just price shopping. What would you do in this scenario? That is a tough one, Phil, but I think we can give you some ideas. Kurt, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, no one likes to be treated like a free consultant. <laughs> That's yeah. what happens a lot of times where they're fishing for information. They don't want to spend time with you. And, and it's hard to build value for what you're doing and differentiate yourself from other companies because they're just putting everyone in the same category that everyone's the same. The knee-jerk reaction we need to talk about is the asking questions and getting them on track. But they have to be crafted questions. They can't be lame questions where, well, duh. But if you can ask questions... That's one thing. But something that's on the trend, too, we've noticed, especially with people that are being treated like consultants. And I'm all about being a consultant. I want you to be a paid consultant. I'm okay with that. Yeah, the paid kind are way better. Yeah, way better. Is that if you can ask a question kind of mixed with the ability to teach them something they don't know. Like, let me ask you this question because – so using the power word because we've talked about that with verbal packaging – and talk about something that they've never thought about that's new to them that they haven't even considered – now, all of a sudden, they have a reason to answer that question. They have a reason to have credibility with you. That seems to be the key factor. And it's kind of a trend now, a newer trend, to where if you can do that in the first 30 seconds, like ask a question while revealing something new, interesting, unique, something that just kind of blows their mind they hadn't even thought of that's different in the industry, a trend, a new feature that has come out, a new challenge that they didn't know about. Wow, that makes all the difference in the world. And that's the key factor to move from a free consultant where they're just looking for a bid or a price or to see where you rank without you having the ability to build value for yourself, build trust for yourself and build the value for your product or service. That's what makes the biggest difference. I've had that happen to me before where I do this same thing. I call a business and I just want a number, right? Mm -hmm. And, And I've had people just spew out a number. Some people are grumpy. They don't want to. But it is the ones that all of a sudden can take the mood from being interrogated to, hey, I'm your buddy and I'm helping you. Let me ask you a little bit about what you're doing. And like you said, they educate me. I'd say, well, yeah, we can give you a number. A few things that might matter and might help us on that number, can I ask you? And then all of a sudden you're engaging in dialogue, right? And, and I don't know what Phil's product is. Obviously, some products lend themselves more to this than others. And that's for sure. But uh, personally, I'm in the real estate investment business. I get calls every day, people inquiring about a property uh, that they want to buy. And they ask me these kinds of things, numbers to either immediately qualify me or disqualify me. And if that's the tone of the conversation, then I'm not going to get the business. And if I do, it's going to be a pain in the butt customer, right? You got to train these customers on the front end. And uh, one question I frequently get is, well, what's the rate of return? on what you offer, right? And I've learned very quickly, say, oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure how you're measuring rate of return. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And it doesn't take me too many more questions beyond this to actually get in a dialogue and help the client realize, whether they admit it out loud or they just kind of realize it on a subconscious level, that this is a conversation that's far, far beyond me spewing out numbers at you. There's a lot more things that need to be considered and they begin to feel that value. and. And I think most of the time, once I can get them engaged in that, they don't call anybody else. They don't call anybody else for quotes because we get engaged in a conversation where they're educated and they see the value in what you do. 
I think that's probably the best uh, between what we've said here that we can tell Phil without knowing more specifics. But anything else you'd like to add to that, Kurt? Well, sometimes you can give a range. They're highly resistant. They don't want to be persuaded. They're talking to a salesperson, right? And so sometimes when they're like, need the price, need the price, if they're not going to let that go, you can give them a range. Well, it depends. I need to kind of see where you're at. We could be anywhere from a dollar to $2 million, right? I mean, that's <laughs> I've said that there. before. Sometimes they really hate it. Sometimes they laugh. <laughs> yeah, but you don't even that. You can even be realistic. Well, a system like that would be anywhere from a thousand to ten thousand dollars. Can I ask you a few questions to see which one would fit your needs? And so you've given them a price, have kind of gone down a notch in the resistance, and that could be helpful too. Do it in a funny way, or even when you're serious, it could be something that could work out well for you. Right, right, absolutely. They they want that number over the phone. Some people are really crafty about how they try to get it, and and I've had trainers tell me before. Don't give out a number over the phone. If you absolutely have to give something, then yeah, you better do a range so that you can at least control the boundaries. Uh, this is starting to turn more into a negotiation, right, at this point when you're having to do things like that. That's true. And, and a lot of trainers do do that. But if that's all they want, that's all they want. You can give them a range or say, all right, well, let me ask, can I ask you three questions first so I can know what that number would be for you and get permission to ask questions and see if that works. But some people are so hardcore, they just want the number and be off the phone as soon as possible, which is a lose for you because you can't build the value for yourself. Right. I've done this before, and my wife and I had a cabinet contractor do it to us the other day, and, and he got the business, not only because he did a good job as a persuader and actually found what we needed, but I just you know wanted to give him the slow clap. You know, hey, bravo, buddy, you did great. <laughs> uh, because we had, of course, called three or four different cabinet contractors to install a a little kitchenette thing in our basement. And most people would just kind of regurgitate a price or, or never really get back to us. I mean, they are contractors, right? In fact, I'll post a funny little clip about that that Citibank did. It's a funny ad, which we appreciate here on the show. I'll put that on the blog. But anyways, one contractor said, well, what are you trying to do? And he said, I imagine you're calling around getting some bids. I would too, right? Didn't make us feel weaselly for doing that. He said, great. I would be happy to give you a bid, and I found out that it's very helpful for me and actually more for you if all these bids are, are talking about the same thing. Uh, and many times contractors use terminology or one guy's using different materials. If you'd like, get your bids together and send them to me, and I'll tell you what I can do for the exact level of work and materials that the other guys are. And if I can match or beat their price, I'll tell you. And if not, then you should absolutely go with one of those other guys. It made us feel like we had freedom there, made us feel like we were going to get a good price, and, and uh, he educated us and got the business. That's the way to do it. He became, in fact, in that situation, you went from being a salesperson to the consultant to being your advisor to helping you out to being on your team, and you were more than willing to have him do the work for you. Right. And I, I still have had many deals like that where somebody still went with the other guy because they were completely blinded by price or maybe they were acting on behalf of a superior, right? This was a business-to-business -business thing, and they were instructed, bring me the lowest price, right? They liked you, they knew you were better, but bring me the lowest price. And oftentimes, when you're getting into an, an underbidding kind of a thing, what happens when you get into the implementation stage of the project, right? It's not great. They're not getting what they thought they were, right? Yeah, they got the low price, but they didn't get this key widget that supposedly comes with it. And guess who they call to fix it at that point? The person took time to educate them and treat them, treat them well. 
price isn't the only issue. And, and we've been taught our whole life, price or quality, you can't have both. And a lot of times people always fight on price and you always lose when you fight on price. And you might get business initially, but long term, you're not going to keep many clients. It's true. It's true. And that kind of leads us into what we wanted to talk about today. And it fills email definitely got us thinking about this. We haven't talked about it in a long time. Uh, you'll notice that to take control of a situation like this, we're asking questions. And Chris Voss, a couple episodes ago, had a lot of good points about questions. And we wanted to highlight um, some stuff today on that topic. Because how do you not sound like you're interrogating somebody, right? Asking questions. And we've compared it to the lawyer uh, asking the witness questions. And they know they're being led slowly down a hole and that they can never crawl out of. So, Kurt, what are some pointers on how salespeople can ask questions that make them more like a paid consultant as opposed to, you know, like a Nazi Germany interrogator? <laughs> well, first of all, great persuaders ask three times more questions than the average persuaders. And the bottom line is if you ask the right questions, they're going to tell you everything you know to persuade them. You have to get past the vomit the features mode and you have to really understand how people work. And I think there's a shift happening out there in the world of persuasion. Like you said, people are seeing right through a lot of these questions and you're leading them down this path. And and it's a little different. I think it's more like the old analogy of boiling the frog. Do you remember that one? Hopefully you do. I don't know if our listeners do or not. But what that yeah. means is if you put a, a frog in boiling water, it's going to jump out. And so you have this prospect that, that if they're starting out this way, asking for price, they're highly resistant. They don't want to spend a lot of time. They don't want to talk to you. They're jumping right away when you ask your first couple of basic questions versus if you put a frog in cold water, and I don't know why you do this, and you turn up the heat, and it would boil to death because it was a gradual thing. And that's what you need to do is gradually help them persuade themselves. And I think a big thing to do with that is be able to start with the no and then kind of get the maybe. Then you can start leading with the yeses. And you have to make sure they like you and trust you. They're on your side that they know there's a reason for them to do business with you before you start getting into the yes questions. That's later on in the close. And so it's okay to get a no sometimes, just like we talked about a few weeks ago. If somebody said, for example, oh, any reason you can't give me five minutes to explain? Oh, well, no, right? Or other one I heard the other day is like, well, is this a bad time for you? Which is exact opposite of what people think. They're like, well, no. Like, okay, well, let's talk. And you're getting some no's up front and kind of just letting people diffuse a little bit. Uh, something like, well, if we don't do anything, will this go away? Well, no. Would it be too much for me to ask you? Well, no. Those are the type of things that you're looking for that up front. So I'm noticing with some of the persuaders I'm monitoring now that, that when, especially with highly resistant. Now, if you already have a relationship and they want and need your product and there's trust there, some credibility, that's a little bit different. But if they're very resistant, get some no's up front and then – Get some maybes. Hey, would you ever consider? Well, maybe. Well, would you do this? And then from there, you could get into the, the foot in the door or getting the yeses and lead them down the path to persuasion. So I'm seeing with highly resistant people, it's okay. Get some no's up front. Put things in perspective because it takes them off guard, just like the person you were talking about. Well, if it's not appropriate, we're not going to do business. Well, if it's not the right price for you, we're not going to do business. If, if I can't serve you, I'm going to recommend someone else. Be like, oh. Well, that's nice, and it takes people off guard, and you turn from a salesperson to consultant to a paid consultant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like to practice what I preach here and, and go to a negotiation or a persuasion training event once a year to stay sharp. you got to do that, guys. If you're not always training your brain and staying in that mentality, you get rusty. Kurt, you'll agree with me on that, that it's just mm -hmm. it can go downhill fast. and. 
And I said Chris Voss a few minutes ago. I thought, eh, maybe I'll go out to one of Chris's events. He, he does a negotiation two-day event in New York City. And the date didn't work for me. And I thought, oh, maybe he's going to do one later this year. So I emailed his staff. And they don't know who I am. Chris does. He's been on the show. And we've talked. And I said, hey, do you have anything else coming up this year? And she said, no, unfortunately, that's it for the year. And then she used his technique. It was hilarious. I was laughing. I, th I think I'm going to email him and tell him he's doing a good job training his people. She said, would it be a bad idea to put you on the list to notify for future events? <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's the whole concept. It's what you've talked about. It's what he said on the show is, you know what? Getting a no early in the conversation, that used to be hiss. Don't do that. You know, you're cursed. Now, people need to feel in control, like they have some say in what's about to happen. So it's not a bad idea anymore to get a no, as long as it's something that's you know not really of any consequence. Now, it can't be completely transparent, obvious, right? But that's exactly what they did here. And so now, okay, we got that out of the way. Now we can actually have a conversation. That's exactly right. Especially early at a negotiation to get a no. When you're talking about numbers, are you trying to change the perspective of time, effort, or value, the old called the uh, contrast or door-in-the-face technique to where you're starting high and low and you're getting some no's and you're working something through. So you can use no strategically quite a bit throughout a negotiation especially or to put things into perspective. It just makes a big difference. It actually doubles compliance when you come up to somebody and say, hey, will you do a two-hour survey? Oh, no, no. Well, can you give me two minutes? <laughs> That doubles the amount of people that will do the two-minute one versus if they just came up to people and say, hey, can you give me two minutes? And that's true in negotiation. You've got to start as high as low as you can, put things in perspective, and it makes a big difference. Yeah, the key is to not chicken out after that first no. Right? You're, <laughs> that's right. You're playing the long game here. I've been trained on that too. Another sales training company out there, You've, I think we've mentioned on the show, Sandler, the Sandler sales system. The one thing that they like to teach is when the prospect gets a little nasty with you or or becomes uh, adversarial, confrontational, to just in a very calm way say, hey, do you want me to leave? <laughs> you know, are we done? <laughs> if they're even somewhat engaged, what they're saying, they're saying no. They feel that freedom to say no, but the irony of it is they're telling you, no, talk to me more, stay, right? And that's what every salesperson wants. They want a prospect saying, no, come talk to me. I want to I wanna <laughs> discuss this with you. And it's a pretty sneaky and very effective way to do it. I think it's really cool. It is, and it takes people off guard because there's so many mediocre to bad persuaders out there that are using these old-style techniques that have lost their luster, that just aren't working, they see right through it. And in their day, they did work pretty well. And there's a time and place for closing skills. We've talked about that, but they've got to be ready to go. A closing question should not surprise them, but the questions you ask should be pre-planned, predetermined to lead them down that path to help them persuade themselves. That's great. That's great. Have plenty of questions ready to go. When in doubt, ask a question. You know, in our seminars, Kurt, we've done that where it's just a fun game. You bring two people up to the front of the room and they have to ask questions to each other and you can't answer. <laughs> right? <laughs> Oftentimes, like a presidential debate, you can't answer, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But it, <laughs> it gets pretty funny to see how far two people can go without answering a question, answering it with another question. Well, it's definitely a programming issue because every persuader will say, yeah, you answer a question with a question. It's like, well, how are you doing today? They're like, fine. <laughs> and it's just our schooling days to where they just automatically answer. And so when you get two people up and it's an improv exercise to where if they ask a question, you ask a question, 
it's a lot harder than you think. Try it at home. <laughs> it is something to reprogram your brain because you've heard it before, but very, very few persuaders actually do it. Yeah. There's a guy that I work with, and he is a absolute level 10 black belt, Chinese star throwing persuasion ninja, <laughs> right? I noticed this the other day, and I don't know if he did it on purpose, but he's so good. It's so smoothly and naturally deflecting questions with questions. And I, I walked into his office, hey, how are you doing today? And he just leans back with a big smile on his face and goes, isn't it a great day today? <laughs> he asked me a question, but he told me how he was doing. Just such a, a solid way to do that. I think it's one thing we take from the show. Someone asks you how you're doing today. Well, isn't it a great day? You're in control. Kurt, anything else on questions that we should bring up before we move on? A couple things. Practice with your kids. Practice with your coworkers. And you know when your kids are always asking questions, try ask questions back. You know, after the 45th question, they kind of get it, but it's still good practice for you. And then think of just great questions when you get stuck. What do you think about? Or how do you feel? Or when did you start losing money? And my favorite question is, well, let's step back and let me ask you this question. And what does a perfect solution look like to you? And then shut up, ask a few more questions in between, and they'll tell you everything you need to know to persuade them, and you become the paid consultant. It's true. It's true. When in doubt, shut up and ask a question. There you go. You lose control, shut up and ask a question. Yep. If you don't know where to go, shut up and ask a question. <laughs> deep thoughts from the podcast. Yes, yes. We're known <laughs> for these deep thoughts, this profound advice. <laughs> that you're getting. So and I hope that tape plays in everybody's head all day today. Shut up and ask a question. So, Kurt, let's move on and let's cue up the Blinja. Blinja go. Don't, don't, don't. So this election thing, um, we've been avoiding it. We talked about it a little bit. It's becoming inevitable. It's about four weeks out. It's just completely agonizing. I turned on the second presidential debate last night. I think I made it a minute before I said, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and watch the football game instead. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember which football game it was. But I turned it over to it. This is a bad thing, but I just said, ah, football. <laughs> I should probably engage more in the political climate right now, but that's tough to do. And it's been a crazy, crazy week of headlines for Trump and Clinton. Blunders and ninjas abounding. And that's what we wanted to address today. Why don't we start? with uh, Donald Trump's locker room talk, as he has called it, about uh, some comments that he made 10 years ago to a reporter. He had a hot mic. He didn't know it. And that's the age we live in, by the way. <laughs> Anything you say ever can be recorded and used against you. That's what he has going on here. How do you feel like Trump and his campaign has handled this hot mic issue, which I'll refresh the listeners, basically talking about how, because he's so rich and famous, he can uh, get any married woman that he wants, and he could just come on to them, and they wouldn't have a choice. Uh, I, I think that there were some different words in there that I've left out, but that's essentially what, what he said. Kurt, what are your thoughts? Uh, they're doing okay. I mean, he apologized, which we rarely hear from Trump. And the thing is with something like that, these what I think they call the October surprises, where they kind of release things. And, and they probably had this audio for a year just waiting to use it. Oh, yeah. And they so, didn't stumble across this last yeah, week. Yeah, it was strategically used, and that upsets a lot of people. And another thing, too, that didn't have as big a sting as they wanted it to, A, because when you hear something like that from whether it be Donald Trump or even Bill Clinton, we all know, well, yeah, that's the kind of person they are. Upset a lot of people, but I don't know if it surprised that many people, but it's out of the blue, nothing we could 
expect it has a bigger sting. But again, like I say, politics is highly emotional, highly volatile, where people are going back and forth. And I always read an article the other day that a lot of friends have been lost on this election. Mm. So his counterpunch here has been, okay, if women are going to get upset about this, then I'm going to try to drag out into the light uh, Bill Clinton, the, the spouse of my opponent, and say, well, you know, I, I was just talking. He actually did these kinds of things in the Oval Office. You think that's working? Or do you think that that was so long ago that nobody really cares anymore? Well, it puts things in perspective for him, and it works for the people that are sitting on the fence. But that's a problem with these debates that you watch him, and it's kind of a waste of time as far as who you think won is the person who you liked in the beginning. I mean, very few people switch, oh, I like this one better now, or I like this one better. I don't think that happened. Now, if someone's sitting on the fence and they weren't quite sure, maybe persuade them either way. If you look at the banter and the talk and the news, it's pretty much who they liked at the beginning is who they like now, so there wasn't much shift. That was funny because I told you I didn't make it through much of the debate. I did turn on some of the news commentary on some of the cable networks <laughs> afterwards. And on CNN, David Axelrod is his name. He used to be pretty high up in the Obama administration. I think he was the press secretary, but I'm not sure. What do you know? He thought Hillary Clinton won the debate. And then I switched it over to Fox News, and there was Rudy Giuliani swearing up and down that Trump completely dismantled Hillary Clinton and won the debate. <laughs> and that's just kind of how these go. Whoever you liked, you just liked more. I wish sports was that way. I wish you could just <laughs> like your team and they win. Well, I wish the debate was more like sports to where you had a, a real scorecard. Oh, right <laughs> hook. That's two points. An actual scorecard you could believe who actually won. Otherwise, it's just human perception and Whoever we wanted to win, whoever we liked is the one that we think is the one won the debate. Trump keeps going at Clinton about this email thing. And uh, she, she lost these emails, deleted them. Is she a criminal? What do you think about that and how she's handling that side of it? Well, that's a good question because she's in denial mode, lying mode. I mean, she's been caught lying about it. Everyone knows that. And the FBI's caught her. She deleted them. It's illegal. And she didn't get in trouble. And so it's it's been working. I think they keep it out there because it's been working. It's something that everyone's like, oh, yeah, that was bad. That was illegal. You shouldn't have done that. Kind of got away with it. So they're going to play that card all the way to the end, especially if the WikiLeaks thing starts releasing more emails from that. It's going to work because that's something that's really worked for that campaign. Mm. Okay. Well, we'll see how it turns out blinges and all kinds of stuff wow <laughs> uh, it's almost over <laughs> yeah be over be done let's move on yep yep exactly all right everybody we appreciate you listening to the show today on maximize your influence once again go check us out at maximizeyourinfluence.com or check us out at universitypersuasion.com if you want to get on a scheduled program that's going to easily show you in a couple of minutes a day how to jack those persuasion skills up and become better if you need more sales every day, every week, every month, we're confident that University Persuasion will get you there. And we will check you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Take care. Persuade with power.